0: Local voices, local conversations, napabroadcasting.com.
1: Thanks for joining us once again here at Napa Broadcasting as we continue our conversations with filmmakers that will be bringing films to the Napa Valley Film Festival. Right now, we're joined by award-winning documentary filmmaker Robin Hauser. Her previous films include Code, Debugging the Gender Gap, and Running for Jim. She's bringing a new documentary to the Napa Valley Film Festival entitled Bias, and it is my pleasure to welcome Robin here. Robin, thanks so much for joining us.
0: Well, thank you so much for having me
1: one of the uh things about bias that's so interesting is the tagline in in your material for the film if you're human you're biased talk a little bit about that and and how that idea really drew you into to making this film
0: sure so if you're human you're biased meaning that bias is is a human uh, survival heuristic right we all have it back in the days when we lived in tribes This was something that was protectionary. It made sense to be suspicious of people that were different from us. Um, And so what fascinated me was if this is an instinct, and yet if we live now in much less segregated societies, how does that instinct serve us or really impair us in today's world?
1: One of the things that I know you've talked a lot about, I was thinking about this with regards to your film, is how bias Finds its way into potentially AI and the way we create algorithms and the way humans really program things. The other aspect of it is the way we program it into our kids, the way we program it into the next generation, even if we are absolutely well meaning.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that most of us are well intended. Um, We, we, move forward with good intentions in life. And yet, even by saying something like, you know, our daughter might come home from school and um, saying that she's studying algebra, even by saying, oh, I hated algebra, just even something like that gives sort of, you know, persuades children to believe that, wow, well, if mom hated it, maybe I'll hate it. Or I'm terrible. I'm like most women. I'm terrible at math. And those type of comments really do Influence our kids what's interesting about artificial intelligence is that I thought okay So if we're human we're biased it's going to be there are some measures that we can put in place to try to mitigate that but pretty much we're doomed in terms of our (laughs) having unconscious biases so could artificial intelligence be the answer Right could could AI be the super solution to some of these human fallibilities and when I started discovering that Artificial intelligence is already biased because humans are programming bias. I mean, sorry, humans are programming and writing these algorithms, and they're the ones inputting the data. And if we're using historic data, chances are very good that it has either stereotypical biases um, that we, you know, suffer from in our society. And in fact, that's what we're finding, You see it if you use um, translation, for example, if you do Google Translate from a gender neutral language and, you know, the equivalent to what, say, in Finnish, they would write is the doctor cared for its patient because it's a gender neutral language. But the translation in English is the doctor cared for his patient. So through word embedding, it makes the assumption that doctor is male. And the, you can see how that's problematic.
1: The other part of that is because it evolved as this survival mechanism, as you talked about earlier, to the degree that it even might be possible to program without bias. That creates its own set of dangers.
0: Yeah, it. I mean, uh, right. So, is it possible to program without bias? I think it is possible if it's if you know if we really look carefully at this. But what? We can't rely on our own brains to do that. We would need to really rely on some sort of governance, some sort of oversight, to make sure that data input is fair and accurate. Um, to make sure that we're not letting our own unconscious biases seep into the algorithms that we're writing, because. It's, it's interesting. David Rock says um, that just like we can't do two math problems at once, we also cannot see our own unconscious biases, which is why they call them unconscious or implicit bias. And that's fascinating to me. When I was making this film, I walked around on the street and did a lot of people on the street interviews. And I would ask people, are you biased? And I will tell you that 90 percent of the time people said to me, no, I really am very open minded, very fair. And then I said, well, what about your friends and family? Are they biased? Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and I said, I said, really, what kind of biases? Oh, you know, racial bias, sexist, um, religious bias. So it's really interesting that we can see this in other people, but we really can't see it in ourselves.
1: In the course of making the film and reporting this, did you find people that were able to at least try to deconstruct their own biases and how they might have evolved in them?
0: Oh, absolutely. I think that once people become aware of their biases, um, they, most people would like to change that. They don't want to believe that a bias would influence an important decision, say, for example, in hiring or who people are in our friend group. But it's very it, it's hard to change. Why is it hard to change? It's like, somebody, it's like saying to somebody, don't follow your gut. And we've all been raised to follow our gut. So what everything that I've learned from making this film is, okay. stop and question your gut. Make sure that that snap judgment, that that sort of automatic association or that that gut that you have is based on the right facts.
1: One of the things that you've included in the film is is the information that there's actually a test that that has evolved to test whether you have implicit bias.
0: There is. Um, Mazran Banaji and Tony Greenwald co-authored a test that's called the Implicit Association Test, and it's on Harvard's website, and it's fascinating. And what it does is it measures the associations between groups or different words um, of two unrelated things. So, for example, um, there's a gender career test, and it gives you the names that they associate with women, like women pronouns and things. And then they give you words that they associate with family, like kitchen and crib and relatives. Then they give you words that are associated with men and associated with career. And it asks you to place these different words to sort of categorize them. And what's really interesting about this is that most of us, men or women, have an easier time categorizing and associating women with family and men with career. I mean, I consider myself a feminist, and yet I showed a moderate association. Actually, I think the first time I took it, I was a strong association of women and family and men and career.
1: To what extent did you find that, that whatever the cultural values or cultural memes of the time were, that that had an impact on bias, that, that if you took the same individual and they took the test at one point and took it 10 years later or 15 years later, the degree to which the results would be similar or different?
0: Yeah, that's an interesting question. So Mazran Banaji says that what bias or implicit biases really are, are the thumbprint of our culture on our brain, which I think is a really interesting way of looking at it. So that means that people, all humans are going to have some form of implicit bias or many forms of implicit bias. But depending on where we are culturally, our biases will be different. Now, you also mentioned, you know, time lapse there. Generationally, I think this is very interesting. Um, Over the, the last weekend, I was testing a bunch of high school kids on their implicit biases. And we did this gender career test. And I asked everybody to put down their ages. I then did it with a group of, of adults as well. And over across the board, everybody seemed to have an association of women and family and men in career much more strongly than they had, say, women in career and men in family. However, the younger generation had slight or almost no association. So their associations were moderate to slight and, in some cases, no Correlation or no association. Whereas people in their 40s and 50s and 60s and above have much more strong associations of women with family and men with career. So that's hopeful that at least that, you know, generationally that's changing. Why? Perhaps because there are more mother, mothers in the workplace, more, mo, you know, women in the workplace. Um, perhaps they have mothers that are working in the workplace. Well, be also. So, I found that interesting.
1: Yeah, interesting also to work backwards from this information to take somebody that you don't know a lot about, but you see what their biases are, and try to understand who they are from that, and see how close you'd come.
0: Yeah, I suppose that that is right. Now, it, it's it's important to realize that there's a difference between being biased or having a bias and being sort of sexist or being racist. Right? There there is a difference. Mm-hmm. So just because I have a stronger association of for women and family and men and career doesn't mean that I am sexist, right? Only if I act on those associations. So if, because I have a strong association, if I then didn't hire women, then I'd be acting on it and that would be a sexist act, see? But having just this sort of in the back of my brain an association that I didn't even consciously, I wasn't consciously aware of, Um, Unless I act on it, there's not as much harm to having that. But if you look carefully at who are you hiring, we all all suffer from something called like-me bias, which means that we are most comfortable when we're around people that are like us because they're non-threatening. We understand them. We feel comfortable with them. So if you're interviewing three people and one of them, if I'm interviewing three people and one of them went to UC Berkeley, likes to run, likes to ski in the winter, I'm immediately going to feel comfortable with this person because I understand her. She's like me. And yet she might not be the best candidate for that job uh, you know, position. And this is why it's so important to try not to uh, let our unconscious biases come into things like
1: interviewing. The other question is the degree to which somebody's use of language and ability with language shapes how they see the world and what their implicit biases might be.
0: Well, I suppose that's true. I mean, if, we're, if we tend to just group or categorize people based on stereotypes or assumptions, um, then I suppose that narrows our, our view of the world a little bit. Um, certainly, you know, limits it, whereas if we're able to sort of think in, on, a, on a more global scale, um, you know, perhaps that would, that would help us. But I, I found something fairly interesting, which is that I, I assumed that people say in less diverse, um, less, you know, sort of cosmopolitan cultures um, would be more biased, So, for instance, if you took a small town in the middle of, I don't know, Ohio, for example, you know, with if there were less diversity in that town, perhaps they would be less biased or have less implicit biases than somebody who lived in downtown Manhattan. And interestingly, that's not the case. It's the it's the reverse of that. And the reason for that is because if we do live in downtown New York, you know, Manhattan, We then, there are situations that sort of confirm stereotypical biases. So, for instance, oh, if you're Vietnamese, you must work in a nail salon. And if you're Jewish, you must run a deli. And if you're Middle Eastern, then you're telling me my newspaper in the morning, which we all know is not true for everybody in that category. But it might be that that is more true. And therefore, we start making assumptions about entire groups of people and not the individual anymore.
1: Talk a little bit about the film itself and about how you began to translate all of this information, all of the things that we've been talking about, into a documentary that would be both compelling and cinematic.
0: Yeah, so that was a big challenge. At first, I was fascinated by unconscious bias, but I thought, how do I tackle something that's so intangible? What are we going to look at, right? Um, until I began to think about, well, let's start with the implicit association test and sort of frame some of this around that. I was about a third of the way through filming um, before we as a team came to the decision that I should be a subject in the film. And I did this reluctantly because as director, I'm more comfortable behind the camera. But I began to think, well who am I as a privileged white woman who grew up in Pacific Heights, San Francisco, who am I to talk about biases without being willing to expose my own? So I take the IIT on camera twice and expose my biases. And, you know, through that, then I go through some um, different studies. I I put myself in a police simulation um, in the, what's called the counter bias training simulator in Spokane, Washington, um, I do an experiment in virtual reality where um, I see what it's like to be have black skin. So um, the story is, is framed around exploring unconscious bias and possible solutions to mitigate biases, but through sort of discovery of my own.
1: Robin Hauser, her film Bias will be screening at this year's Napa Valley Film Festival. Robin, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Jeff, thank you.
0: It's an honor. Thank you. Wine Food Talk. Neffer